Today we have a special guest. Well, he's, he's not a guest. I mean, he's one of us. But uh, I met this guy um, in my living room for the first time. And he and his wife came, and they were really young and really spry, and they still are, and I'm older. But Jeremy, um, at that point in time, I believe you were still working at H.H. Gregg, and you were selling TVs and electronics and all that. But there's something about Jeremy that I've always loved, and it's his willingness to make it happen. And he does this in various ways. And today, he's a husband still, and he's also a father of Micah, the superstar rock star baby that we have running around the halls. And today, he's going to share just some time with us. So thank you, Jeremy. Thanks, Cortland. That is way better than the first service. First service, he just like put the mic down. I'm like, that's it? That's all you got? I've known you for this long, and you just put the mic down? <laughs> well, my name is Jeremy Heslop, if you don't know. I'm the worship pastor here. And, you know, there's a lot of challenges to being a worship pastor and getting to know people. And when I look out here and I see there's so many different faces, there's a lot of faces that I've never seen before, or ones that I've seen before, and I've like, I've never talked to you. And there's always this awkward thing when you try to have the first conversation when I know you've been around for like six months because you're like, do you introduce yourself or not? And it's always awkward. But I thought, I took some time and I thought, what are the challenges, if I put them down, of getting to know the worship pastor? So I put, put down five challenges to getting to know. And, and this transfers beyond me, but it goes to, to other worship pastors. The first thing is depending on where you sit, how close you are, and depending on how good your eyes are, when I'm tucked back here, you may or may not even know what I look like. You know, if it's dark, we don't have the big flashy lights, but let's be honest, you're looking at the screen, you're trying to figure out where we're going. Um, the second thing is I'm, I'm really bossy. Let's be honest, I'm like, stand up, sit down, let's repeat this, do this, and it's never a please, you know, I don't say thank you after you do that, so I'm bossy. The third thing is I kind of treat you like a kid. I mean, when's the last time when somebody's been like, all right, now everybody, let's sing, you know, and... Let's do that verse again. I don't know if you really did that good. And, and at the end of the song, if I didn't think you've done it well enough, I'll just say, like, you know what? No instruments, all vocals. Let's do it. Yeah. But the fourth thing that makes it difficult to get to know the worship pastors, and this applies for me specifically, is by the end of the second service, I am hungry. And most shaken said, yes. Yep, absolutely. Because you see, Sunday mornings start really, really early. It's kind of like a normal work day. I'm up. 5.45, 5.35, depending on what the morning looks like. And I'm here setting up, and then we have worship practice, and then we have first service, and then second service. So by the time the second service is done, I am starving. And if I'm not really that hungry, Amber certainly is. And Micah's like, what are we doing, uh, my son? So the last thing is, if I do my job right as a worship pastor, my goal is to try to convince you to forget about me and forget that I completely exist over here, so that way you can try to you know, encounter Jesus. So if I've done my job right, you forget that I'm even here. So I thought of, well, not everybody knows me here. What are some reasons that somebody would want to get to know me? Uh, so we're just going to go for it. Uh, one, I have a great family. It starts with my wife, Amber, who's running media in the back today. She's holding it down there. And yeah, we should probably cheer for her. <laughs> I have a great son. He's his second, second time in the nursery today. And he's probably like, well, why am I still here? Did we not going home? Um, then I have some other family, even just here. Uh, every week you see uh, my mother-in-law, Sue. 
and my, my bonus father-in-law, Keith, and Keith really holds it down every week in the running the, the soundboard, and he's the one that makes it sound really great. Um, this morning, we have a special treat. My father-in-law, John, is here, probably rode the Harley. If, if he didn't, then my son is going to flip out, because as soon as he sees him, he calls him Papa, only he doesn't say Papa, he goes, Papa. We say it's out of reverence, but, you know, Papa. And then he goes, Momo. And where's your Momo? You know, that's what he's asking for the Harley. And so... Um, then I have two sister-in-laws, Sarah and Julia, and then my family is in Pennsylvania, the rest of my family on my side. I have my, both my parents, Don and Linda. My dad's been a pastor for 40 years, actually 45-ish, somewhere around there now. I have a sister named Heidi, brother-in-law John, and then I have a niece and nephew, uh, Jocelyn and Chase, and then we have some niece and nephew dogs flowing around in there too. But, so that's the first thing. I have a great family. The second thing is, my birthday is next Sunday. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that out there. You know, last, last year, my birthday, it was on a Saturday, and then that Sunday, uh, it probably was Shannon that organized the whole thing, but uh, it could have been Mo, but they brought carts of cake down, and we celebrated. You guys remember that? You were here? Yeah, the problem is I'm training for like a marathon right now, so the cake is not in there. So what I've decided, I haven't really run this by anybody yet, except for first service, and Shannon didn't say anything, so I'm just going to go for it. But what we're going to do next week is just everyone bring a gift. <laughs> and then after, you know, Darren preaches, I'll just come down and we'll just do, you know, presents. So <laughs> Shannon's looking at me like, no, no, we're not going to do that. But in my mind, that's what we're doing next week. I'm not even going to prepare a last song. Um, <laughs> or maybe prepare happy birthday. <laughs> The third thing is I have a superpower, and that is that I don't have to wake up by an alarm every morning. It's really random, and I've heard that there are other people, and if, when I'm done with this, if you have that superpower, I'd like you to raise your hand. But no matter what time I need to get up, whether it's 6 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 4 o'clock, that's a more recent thing, um, I will wake up five minutes before my alarm. And so I only have an alarm go off. I still set it every night because I'm responsible, and I, I don't want to be late even if I don't wake up. But I, it never goes off, which is, Amber appreciates. Um, but anybody else have that superpower? Yes. Oh, wow. I am not as special as I thought. Um, uh, I'm a huge sports fan. I know there are those of you who have already voiced your disappointment with me not wearing something Steelers today. Um, but that's because we played on Thursday. And I didn't want to confuse anybody. Um, but, you know, I'm one of those sports fans, and I'm a huge Steeler fan, but I'm not one of those crazy ones like the team in house or the Dowds. Like, it doesn't ruin my week if, we'd, if we lose. Um, I'm not saying it ruins most, but maybe it does. Um, I'm also on mission all the time, as much as I can. Uh, at here, the mission is clear. You hear us talk about it every day. Um, but I'm what we call bivocational, which means that I have a, a, a job during the week and I work as a stewardship advisor for a company called Ramsey Solutions. It's Dave Ramsey's company here in town. And part of the reason that I, I joined that company is because of the mission. I, I love spreading hope. And in fact, that's just a part of my life. I have to be on mission. Um, my friend Joshua is here in the back. And about five months ago, he asked me if I wanted to join a, a running team, which I just started laughing as soon as we started talking about that. And he has like, and he's an amazing runner. Uh, I call it a stupid good runner. Um, and, and he's like, do you want to run? We're going to run the Ragnar relay. And I'm like, what is that? Because I'm thinking, you know, 5K, I could do this. He's like, oh, well, we run from Chattanooga to Nashville with a, a team of 8 to, to 12 guys. 
And I'm like, so what does that break down to? You know, and did the math and quickly figure out that that was not, not that good. But as we started talking about it, we realized that we have a coworker named Leanne who has a grandson named Owen who has a metabolic disorder called LCHAD. And we realized that we could run the race not for ourselves but for him. So sure enough, that's, that's why I've lost 25 pounds and why I'm running like a crazy person all the time and no one's chasing me and there's not a ball involved, so this is completely new. Um, but I love it. That's why I have this little bracelet on in, in October. Uh, we're going to be running that and, and I'll be running 18 miles in the course of a little over a day. So I'll remind you to pray for me. And this Saturday we run our first like warm-up 15K just as a team. So if all of those things don't make you feel like you, you know me or that you don't trust me, don't trust me, trust your pastor. Uh, Darren and I have known each other now for over 11 years. Uh, when he do, does the stories of talking about the youth group days, I, that wasn't me. I was already out of college. But he started a young adult Bible study on Tuesday nights that he and Shannon would, would lead. And some of you actually were a part of that Bible study. And when I, when I started, it was just about eight people. We were sitting around a room. At a certain point, I brought my guitar and then I just kept bringing my guitar, and then now we're 11 years later. So it's a lot longer story for another time. So if you trust Darren, you have to trust that he likes me. And if you don't trust Darren, trust Shannon, because she still gives me hugs when I see her in the morning. So this morning is going to be just a little bit different. One of the things I love about Darren is his ability to, to bring Scripture to life, to, to bring a passage of the Bible and just talk about it in a depth that I just hadn't thought about. But... Today, it's going to be a little bit different. I don't have one big giant thought that I'm going to bring through. I don't have one scripture that we're going to be just working through. But I have spent my entire life in the church. And this new period of of my life is different. And so I thought that what I would do is I would bring a couple unique individual thoughts to the table. And for us to just think about. And the idea is... Faith through the eyes of a toddler. And that's my little guy, Micah. He's 18 months uh, old today, actually. He's a year and a half. Um, you see, Amber and I are, we've been, we're coming up on our 11th anniversary. We got married uh, 11 years ago, pretty young. And at t- there are times where we feel like, man, this, this marriage thing, we kind of got this. We know each other. I know where my toothbrush goes, hers goes there. You know, we have all those kind of things figured out. But it's interesting, nine years into marriage, starting the family then, um, because now all of a sudden we feel like we take a, kind of a step back in some areas, and we have to look at things from a completely different perspective. You know, I love being a husband, and it's been an amazing thing, um, but one thing that I realized is that Amber's pretty self-sufficient. You know, she, she has kind of life down, um, and she bumps into things all the time, and she loses things. She's laughing because it's true. But at the end of the day, she takes care of herself. Uh, but this is completely different with Micah. It, every moment, it, it's, you know, he's relying on us to feed him, to protect him, to teach him things. These last few months have been very different than the first year. You see, now he's very alert. He's running all around. He talks like crazy. He has teeth. He says no a lot. He has his own opinions. He challenges authority. He bites especially Amber, but man, did he get me good on the shoulder the other day. Um, he realized pretty quickly with my face that that was not a good idea. Um, he says, love you, when he, which is love you, and, and he cries, and he puts his head on your shoulder, and his hugs, and his kisses have become intentional, and 
You can tell when he doesn't want to because he just runs away. <laughs> but what's been hitting me hard lately is how Amber and I have the opportunity to introduce him to Jesus. And it's amazing how things like prayer become such an important thing in our life. Uh, we sit down for dinner, and he has the routine down now. He, he sits there, puts his hands up like this. He knows we're going to grab hands. We sit there, and he looks at us. It's like, all right, we're doing this. Got it. You know, we'll say a quick prayer, bless our food. And we'll say, in Jesus' name, amen. And he looks, and he goes, a mama. <laughs> and that's him saying amen. And, but it's definitely a mama. And, and he does the same thing, actually, at night when before bed as well. It's become a pretty, pretty amazing thing. And it's, Amber's still nursing him, so we'll spend some time, and uh, he'll sit there, and we always say prayers. And it's been an amazing time for us to just pray for like, little friends like, like Owen with what he's going through, or uh, if my parents are, are struggling something physically, or uh, it's just been an amazing time to pray for friends. And it kind of has brought prayer to a new level for us. As something that's consistent. It's in front of us because we, we want this to be a huge part uh, of Micah's life. But one of the things that has happened while we've had these times together and we're praying and as I've been spending time thinking about explaining things to Micah, what I've realized is there's, there's a couple different things that have just been on my heart. And these are those three things that I told you that are kind of standalone items, but they do kind of flow together as well. The first thing I had a thought of was becoming a believer as an adult is hard. And what I mean by that is this. I grew up in the church. My dad's a pastor. I've been around the church literally my entire life. Somewhere in Pennsylvania, there is a cassette tape of my parents talking to me after a Wednesday night service at church. And they're asking me, hey, Jeremy, what happened today? And I gave my life to Jesus, you know, and it's real high-pitched. And, and what does that mean to you? And they walked through. And, uh, and so we have this on tape. I've listened to it. And one thing that I love that's a part of my story is that it actually took that day. Like I haven't, part, my story isn't that, hey, at 15 years old, I realized, oh, I forgot about that time and had to redo this. Um, it just kind of took my, my whole life, I've never questioned my faith in that area. I, just, I knew I was saved. I, I realized what was taught to me. And the nice thing about the way I grew up was that my dad actually really did, and my mom, live out the principles that they talked on, on Sunday mornings. They li lived that out throughout the week, so it really helped. My prayer is that Micah experiences that same thing. I pray that he just is in a constant state of recognizing that he's loved and he's forgiven, that there's grace and that his, his faith can become his own at a young age. But I realize that there's people in this room who don't have that story. And as I've thought about the, Micah's journey, I've, I've started thinking about what it would be like for those adults who, you might be 45 years old, and, and last week was the first time you ever really felt like you accepted Christ. What does that look like for you? And as, I, as I've been unpacking that, I've been thinking about well, there's people who have been uh, a believer for a long time, and there's people who are new believers. And oftentimes, there's this kind of stigma of somebody that's a new, new believer. And I want you to know that if you're sitting here, and you're not a believer, or you're questioning things, that's okay. As one of the pastors, I'm saying that this is a welcome place for you to do that. This is not a place where we all have to agree on everything. It's not a place where uh, the pastors, we have it all figured out, and we're just coming here to let you know what we know. 
you know, re- reveal a little bit at a time. That, that's not what this is about. Uh, your journey is special. And I pray that every time you walk in these doors and every time you have a conversation with one of the pastors or people here, that you are drawn closer to the Lord. But I want you to know that it's okay to be where you are. So what I thought about with somebody who's a new believer is that oftentimes can be this feeling of, well, I have to catch up. And the image that popped into my head uh, a couple of weeks ago that I couldn't get out, it was one of a train. And this is that picture. What I've pictured was oftentimes when somebody becomes a believer, they all of a sudden feel like they're at the very end. They're at the caboose. And if they can just figure out how to get to a couple cars closer to that, to that engine, that they'll be closer to the Lord. And they feel behind. And sometimes it's because people and other, other Christians have made them feel like they're behind. Oh, if I can just get to car four, oh, then I could be uh, like Jeremy. Oh, and if I can get to, to six, then I can be Darren. And if we can get to 17, we can be more like Shannon. And, you know, <laughs> but when I started thinking about that, the truth is that this is a giant train. And this is one where you can walk all around through. You might be given this little bit here and there that, that moves you up to car 22. The next time you might be down in, in 16 because these aren't all, this train isn't all about what position and how closer you are. It's all about experiences and, and understanding God at a deeper level. And the good news is this train is still moving no matter where you are on it. And we're all going to end up in the same place. And the thing that I love about it, as I was unpacking and thinking about it and talking over with uh, David Holderman this week, actually, um, he, he brought up the fact that it could be, at times, more like a wagon. And the wagon, if you think about a wagon, if you think of the Old West, you're thinking of a group of people all in their own individual wagons moving to, from one point to another point. Well, if you're driving in this, this wagon, there's nothing that says that you can't go and wander over here away from where the rest of the wagons are going. But it sure is going to be better if you, if you go together. And what's going to be amazing is every night you're going to circle around and the wagons would come together and they'd circle because it's the time for commun- community. It's time for family. It's time to have a bonfire. And, oh, it's also time to prote- you're more protected in a group. And that's how I like to think about it. The train, yeah, we're moving, but also, you know, we need each other. We're all headed in the same direction if we're believers and we're learning more what it's like to follow Christ, but we all have our own individual journey. The second observation I had is that we really overcomplicate Scripture. A part of our nightly routine with Micah is that we, after bath and we get them all ready, what we'll do is we'll sit down together as a family and we'll read a Bible story. And... It's typically while Amber's nursing, so it's my, my job to do that. But the first book that we worked through is a book called The Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. It points out how every story whispers God's name and how it points to Jesus. I loved it because we would just sit there and we'd, I'd read it. And every story of the Bible, it just talks about how this points to Jesus, like I said. And, and it's amazing. It's, it simplified the Bible. And for me... Almost 34 years old, I've experienced a lot of the Bible. I've read all of it different times. But the simplicity of how we've been reading it in the last year 
has been incredible. It's something that we started. We worked our whole way through that storybook. And now we're on a, a, a next one. It's a Jesus Calling Bible storybook by Sarah Young. And every story is not only written for a child to understand, but also has a message from Jesus to you. I love it. So I wanted to read one this morning. This is taken from Acts 27. This is Paul's shipwreck. I normally show Micah the pictures, so if you can see it, this is what it looks like. Paul was arrested for telling so many people about Jesus. Soon he was put on a ship with other prisoners, headed for Rome, where we'd have to stand before a judge in court. It's a bad time to sail, he warned the crew. The winter winds are howling. We might have trouble, but who would listen to a prisoner? Paul was right. A vicious storm came. Waves like mountains crashed into the ship, and the sailors fought hard to keep it afloat. Help, they cried. Below deck, Paul whispered, God help us. Then an angel appeared with a message. Paul hurried to tell the crew, listen, he shouted over the thunder and wind. God promised me that I'll get to Rome. Anyone traveling with me will be safe. Have faith and believe. Paul was sure that God would save them. Even when the ship drifted near an island and crack, it broke into pieces. Swim, someone shouted. The crew and the prisoners all jumped overboard and swam safely to shore. God still wasn't done with Paul. He had more work for him to do. So that's the story time. And then there's a scripture in the Jesus Calling part where it says, God is our safe place and our strength. He is always our help when we're in trouble. Psalm 46.1. Then has a little message that's supposed to be read from Jesus to you. Storms come to everyone. Sometimes they are bad weather storms that destroy everything and scare you. Sometimes storms are sad things that happen. And sometimes they're tough times. Don't worry about the storms that may come your way. Just trust me and hold on to my hand. I will be your safe place and your strength. I really want my son to remember this. And I want him to feel this and believe it. But isn't it amazing as I read this to him, how much I was challenged? Because, you know, during this, this training for, for the running, there have been so many little storms come up. And what I was remembered here is it says, anyone traveling with me will be safe. Have faith and believe. One of the things that I was shocked about along the way is it really seemed like Micah and Amber have been attacked even more than me. And for me, you know, as a guy, hey, you can, you can attack me and I can learn how to handle it. But I am paralyzed oftentimes if you attacked my wife or my son. I was encouraged by this thinking, God promised me that I'll get to Rome. Well, I'm not running to Rome, and of course. But at the end of the day, there are things in my life that God, I feel like, has called me to do. You out there, there are things that God has called you to do, or he will call you to do, and there are going to be storms. It's a guaranteed part of life. But can we remember that through the thunder and through the wind that God has promised you that you'll get there? And anyone traveling with, with you will be safe. Have faith and believe. The thing is, we take that, and then we start really thinking about it and unpacking it, and we start realizing, well, what does that mean? Well, I've heard of this thing happening to this family. And well, that didn't really seem like God protected that person. And we start adding those different layers, like, like we're understanding why God uh, is doing certain things. But I think it's just a good reminder sometimes that we just need to take a step back 
and remind ourselves, remind each other that in those simple words, storms come to everybody. And as long as we stay put and trust that, we, that God has it figured out, that he's the one that's in control, and the more that we have our feet grounded on his word and who he is, then the safer we're going to be. So that's my second observation. And the third one is simple beginnings grow. See, when my sister and I were little, my parents decided to teach us about handling money. What they did was they took these little boxes. My mom got out her puffy paint and labeled one give, one save, and one spend, and had the little things that locked it into place and a little slats so you can put it in. When a birthday came around or at some point somehow I got money, um, it would just randomly happen. I don't remember how I would get it growing up, but I probably had some kind of scheme or something. But my parents would teach me how to split up my money. They'd give us uh, the, the part that had the give. We would always take to our Sunday school. And when the opportunity came, we'd put our pennies in or uh, quarters or whatever it is. And we would, the part of save, that always was a little bit of question, question mark of where that went. I still don't remember where that was. But I'm also not a natural saver. So I'm sure it was always like, yeah, whatever. We'll save for this later. Um, but when I think about growing up, we did that. And whether grandma gave me something for my birthday, we'd always sit there and do that. And my, my parents never gave any big explanation other than, hey, here's how you're supposed to handle your money. But when I was 16 years old, it was time for me to get my first job. And we lived in Indiana, Pennsylvania. It's a real small uh, college town. It's the home, uh, actually the birthplace of Jimmy Stewart, the hometown. It's with this big statue. And they were pretty proud about that. And it's a college town, so when the school is in session, there's about 15,000 students that come, come along. And so what that means is that all the good jobs are taken. Thus starting my career at Taco Bell at 16 years old. Because you see, if I was going to, to drive, which I really, really wanted to, uh, then I was going to have to pay for my own insurance. It just wasn't an option in our house. We just didn't have the money. And I'm glad that we didn't, by the way, looking back at it now. But I remember getting my very first paycheck. I remember getting it and... You know, taking it home, and today I'm a man, you know. I got paid to do something. And after, you know, being underwhelmed with, first of all, how little it was, um, I'm sure my mom has it framed somewhere, um, but I don't remember the exact dollar amount, so we're just going to say $70. I'm sure it was less than that. But I took it home, and I was underwhelmed with the amount it was because it worked so hard, but then also I was underwhelmed at how much the government took. That was my first lesson on that. Still, I've never really gotten over that part. But I sat down at a table with my dad. I was like, all right, what do we do? You know, thinking like, man, oh, we've got to pay some bills here. Or, um, but I already had a checkbook, had no money in it. Again, I said I was a spender. But what I did, we sat down, and my dad explained to me the first time, really in depth, about tithing. And it was just an interesting time for me. My dad really explained what stewardship looks like. He explained the idea that everything is God's. What money that we bring in is the Lord's. Uh, everything that we own is his. And he explained about why he and mom have always given to the local church. He's explained why the, the role that it's had in his life and his faith and how we need 
each other and we need community and the responsibility of the church to take care of that and be good stewards as well. And we took that time to go over that. And I remember writing my check for $7. And I was kind of embarrassed about it. Although I realized a little bit later that at that time when they passed the, the buckets, when you have a check, it's not like you say the amount on it. Everyone just sees you, you put a check in. So you're like, yeah, it's big, huge, huge check. Um, but my dad told me that, that I should never be embarrassed about the size of the check. It's not about that. It's about the condition of my heart when I give. He told me that I'd be tested in that. And boy, was he right. He also told me that if I wasn't consistent with writing a check at an early age, that it, as I got older, it would become harder and harder to give. And he was definitely right. I remember being 22 years old on my own, moved to Tennessee, engaged to this awesome, awesome girl named Amber. And I remember while I was working actually at Taco Bell at that time, and not Taco Bell, H.H. Uh, Gregg, I meant to say. Um, like uh, Cortland said, I got out of Taco Bell as quickly as I could, by the way. Um, <laughs> but I remember I had fallen behind. I was feeling convicted because I was remembering what my dad had told me. And at that time, I, I was looking at, oh, man, I haven't paid my tithe in two months. I guess I should make this up. And like, I remember the pain of that day. And I remember that day thinking, all right, I cannot let that happen again. I'm just going to have it be a consistent part of my life. And this morning isn't a message about tithing. Um, it's not at all. I, I do feel that giving is a natural byproduct for every believer, and it should be a part of your life. I'll leave the explanation of pre-law uh, versus how, how Jesus was a God of more, not less. I won't debate tithing off gross or net. I'll leave that to the grown-ups. Tonight we're looking at, I mean, this morning we're looking at things through the lens of a toddler. And the reason I brought this story up at all was because that day that when my dad sat down and he taught me about giving, he was teaching me something very simple, and it was at the beginning of something. It was very basic. Since that time, he hasn't spent a lot of time understanding or really diving deeper into my understanding of what this would look like and how this would apply to my family. You see, growth is a natural thing as, as you become older. It was a part of maturing. It's been 18 years since that lesson and that conversation with my dad. And what he probably doesn't think about, and he probably never will, unless he somehow listens to this podcast uh, later. But every month, Amber and I sit down together. And as we write out our, our monthly budget, we, we talk about our tithe. We, we look at what giving looks like for our family. And we always use that, that tithing part as a starting point. Um, we don't write a check anymore. We click some buttons online. Um, but we realize that this is something that for us as a couple has become such a major part of our life. That by us sacrificing and giving together, it sets the tone for our relationship and for our experience, whether it's with money or whether it's with our, our son. And it's become something that started so simple, and now it's become almost core to everything that we are as a family. And, and when I think about that, I think about what my dad, what that must have looked like for him, I look at it differently. And I'm excited about those little things that we're going to instill in Micah that are going to turn into something bigger and something more powerful. And they're going to be something that can impact more and more people 
It has nothing to do with me. There was a, a pastor, there's, there's a pastor who's a speaker in, in my company. His name is Pastor Chris Brown. And in staff meeting a couple of weeks ago, he shared a little bit about his story. And his story is one that's extremely powerful. And it's extremely painful to hear. It's a story of growing up with a lot of different fathers. It's a story of abuse, of neglect, of sadness. But it's also a redemptive story where he, you get to walk and hear how somebody who had that kind of upbringing can become such a, an amazing man for the kingdom. And as I'm wrapping up, if the worship team would come back up, uh, I was thinking about Pastor Chris and when he was sharing this story, and I realized that his story is my dad's story. Not, not quite as extreme, but I realized that, so my grandpa on my dad's side, uh, wasn't his whole life, but he was an alcoholic, and he, he was a chain smoker, and he died actually just a couple weeks before my parents found out that my mom was pregnant with me. So I, I never met him. The consequences of his life were massive for, for his family. And some of the decisions that he made were, were just not good. But my dad, despite that, took little things that my grandpa taught him. He discovered Jesus along the way and decided to completely change his life. And what I realized and what I ended up telling Chris later on was that, hey, he should be encouraged because his son is me in this story. Because the decisions that my dad made ended up impacting me, which brings me here. And so I was encouraging Chris to say, hey, what you've done has literally changed your, your family trees. It's changed the trajectory of your family. And that was something that was really encouraging to him. But this morning, the reason that I wanted to bring all of those three kind of unique thoughts to the table it's because they're just things that have been on my heart. I think sometimes we overcomplicate even a Sunday morning. We forget that sometimes it's just an encouraging word that needs to be brought before each other, something that's telling a life story. Um, I really do want to get to know every single one of you. I know it's not going to happen. But when I was thinking about, even joking around about what it's like to get to know a worship pastor, but I was thinking about all the different leaders here whether it's Shannon or Mo or uh, Cortland or Becca and James in the back or Jim Henderson with the, the youth. On Sunday mornings, quite often it can be, it can seem like we're all just flying and we're just running like chickens with our head cut off. And sometimes it looks like we're just really focused and we're, we're angry or, and I can't, can't express enough that that is not where we are. That is not where our, our head is. We, are, we care so much about you. We care so much about this place that we are trying to create an environment where you can encounter God on a deep and powerful way. It's, pretty, it's that simple. You know, we care about your kids and we want them to experience Christ as well. So I wanted to encourage you to stop us, to run alongside of us, help me pack up my guitar, maybe bring me a snack while you do it. But 
it's not every day that, that I get to speak. And so when I was just unpacking all of this, I know it, it, it was a little bit different than even I thought it would be when I started, but I hope that in some way, looking through the lens of a toddler and looking through the lens of simplistic thinking about your faith, I encourage you to take that approach over the next few weeks, to look at what you're doing in life. Are you spending time with the Lord? Are you praying? Are you in community with other believers? These are all things that are very, very important to you in your life. It's like the last thing that I mentioned that simple beginnings grow. I've been around Conduit since the first conversations with Amber and I and Shannon and Darren sitting on their back porch and talking about him potentially becoming a pastor and what that would look like. We had no idea that it would turn into this. And we still don't know where it's headed. But what I personally am so excited about is that feeling that this is just the beginning. That those dollar amounts that we were able to give to people, they seem so big in our world, but they are small in comparison to what, what God has in store for, for all the people that we work with and so much more than, than what we'll ever know. And I am the worship pastor, so I'm also very passionate about worship. And so during this last song, we're gonna stand together and it's our time that we normally give our tithes and offerings. We're gonna do that. The baskets are gonna go, go by. We have a communion on either side of the stage. And we do that so that way, if that's a part of your worship this morning, if that's a part of your disconnecting from this world and what life has looked like for you this week, we want you to remember that his body was broken for, for every single person in this room. His blood was poured out for you. And I encourage you as we sing, whether it's singing the words that are up here or if it's just taking a moment just to be still and let God minister to you, whatever it is this morning, can we take a couple moments before we go back to our busy lives and can we encounter Christ?